want to welcome everybody. This is Khalil Ismail, and I'm here with Om Zakia on the podcast Label Deep Episode Two. Rivers flow, and all I know is I love to grow. So I imagine past the test. So we have another essay that we're going to read first, and then we're going to discuss it. So, Om Zakia. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. So this one's called Beyond Black Victim Status, Slaves Are Superior. We were of the most disgraced of people, and Allah granted us honor with this Islam. Now, whenever we seek honor in other than that which Allah honored us with, Allah shall disgrace us once again. Umar ibn Khattab Black people in America can never be Muslim. He said to me as I stood next to his desk. I stared at my teacher with an expression that must have conveyed very little of what I felt right then. I didn't know what to say. I studied his eyes, slightly enlarged by the thick glasses he wore. The deep olive of his Arab complexion was nearly the same as my American brown. We even shared the same hair texture, though my hair was covered right then. But even so, to an outsider looking in, he could have easily been my father. And given that he was the only Muslim teacher I had at the high school, I should have at least shared with him the commonality of, quote, brother and sister in Islam. But that I knew was impossible to this man. He was Arab, I was American, and black at that. He wanted to make sure I understood this impossibility. I did. I continued standing where I was only because I was waiting for my teacher to mention the reason he had called me to his desk. The other students were at their seats working, some looking up curiously every now and then, wondering what it was our teacher wanted from me. Naturally, like most students would, they imagined that I'd gotten myself into trouble somehow, and they did not want to miss the action. I waited only because I did not want to miss his point. The teacher's matter-of-fact expression as he blinked back at me confused me only momentarily. I hesitated for only a second after the realization, mostly out of respect, and I made an effort not to display disdain for my elder as I excused myself and returned to my seat but it was impossible for me to concentrate after that. I was genuinely confused. In life, my father told us once, you'll meet people who say, assalamu alaikum, but they're not really Muslim. He shook his head. No, I don't mean they're not Muslims to Allah. I mean, they're not living Islam. They have no idea what this religion means. I thought of my Arab teacher. Beauty is in carrying yourself like a Muslim, my parents would say. Beauty is in living Islam. I stood browsing the shelves of the modest store, the souk. Adjacent to the prayer area of the Islamic Center I like to attend in suburban Washington, D.C. I did a double take before picking up the small box. I stared at it a moment longer, realizing that my eyes had not been mistaken at all. The skin-bleaching cream manufactured in a Muslim country did indeed say what I thought it said, the solution to pollution. Next to this tagline was the image of two faces, one brown, incidentally very close to my own skin tone, and the other white, the before and after of this product. Disgusted, I returned the box to the shelf and left. And here we have a black woman, the Muslim lecturer told the audience, his voice rising to reflect the sincerity of his message as he shared the famous hadith about the black woman afflicted with seizures, a story he hoped would encourage his Muslim sisters to take hijab more seriously. A black woman who wanted to guard her modesty. So she asked the Prophet wasallam to invoke Allah so that she would not become uncovered. He said, sisters, this was a black woman. My father would never let me marry a black man, my friend from Trinidad told me as we chatted one day. She laughed and shook her head. 
I could not help noticing that her skin was much richer in brown than my own. He told me, you can marry whoever you want, but don't ever marry a black man. I must admit, <laughs> a sister from Somalia said after meeting me for the first time, we were at a book event for my novels held at an Islamic convention. I'm really surprised you're black, she said. As we talked, she apologized for her prejudice. She was unable to fathom that such, quote, well-written books could have come from a black American. Later at the same convention, a fellow American said something similar, but in different words. And she's really intelligent, he said as he introduced me to his wife. His voice was between disbelief and awe. I smiled as I reached out to shake the hand of the woman who studied me with a sense of uncertainty that strangely resembled her husband's shock at my brain's capacity. I read the question in her eyes. Really? Are you sure? I could say these experiences scarred me for life. That I went home in tears and that these people's bigotry incited within me that horrible inferiority complex due to my, quote, blackness and my utter inability to be accepted not only by white America, but also by the, quote, real Muslims of the world. But I won't. That would be dishonest. Truth is, I felt sorry for these people. When I was still in high school, I would come home and recount such stories to my younger sister. And like myself at the time, she would become perplexed. And to be really honest, we would even laugh at times, not with the quiet, hesitant giggle most appropriate for our, quote, lowly status, but with the thunderous throw your head back laugh that makes your stomach hurt and tears sting your eyes. This is how we dealt with much of the bigotry we witnessed in life. Perhaps I am an exception. I can't be sure. But I did not reach adulthood thinking I was less than anyone else. I did not shrink in the face of those deemed above me, whether Muslim or non-Muslim, and demurely accept their, quote, superior status. Quite frankly, I didn't know they had one. Yes, I knew about those suffering from the tragic sense of insecurity, which made it necessary for them to release, quote, statistics about others' intellectual abilities, or lack thereof, or call a student to their desk to say she could not be Muslim. Or to believe perhaps that those who aren't black are actually inferior. But alhamdulillah, I did not go through any of that. Yes, in childhood, I was mistreated by non-Muslims, mostly due to my Islam and brown skin. And by Muslims, mostly due to my, quote, lack of Islam because of my brown skin. And yes, it hurt. And yes, I cried from time to time. And no, I did not always feel confident in my Muslim headscarf and brown skin. And naturally, I did not reach adulthood without insecurities, if such a thing is possible. But by Allah's mercy, I also did not reach adulthood insecure. My self-image and self-esteem were centered around one thing, my Islam. So when I picked up a, quote, Muslim magazine and happened upon the matrimonial section, it did not even occur to me that I should feel slighted or offended when I read dozens of ads by men looking for, quote, fair wives. I had a good laugh, and my sister did too. I'm whiter than you. I flipped back to the page of Al Juma magazine I had just seen. For a moment, I just stared at the title. I could not imagine what the article would be about. If there were a turning point in my youthful naivete, Reading this article was probably it, though I was a wife and mother at the time that I came across this piece. To the author's credit, the article was well-written and reflective. She was a white American who had accepted Islam and due to her apparently being the recipient of so much praise for her appearance, she wished to let us know the downside of having white skin, sunburns and the like. What was life-changing about this for me was twofold that the author had been inspired to write it in the first place, and what's more, that a reputable Muslim magazine had seen value in printing it. I sat still for quite some time. I wasn't hurt. I wasn't indignant. I was confounded and concerned. When I was in high school, a local radio show held a citywide essay contest, and the contestants were to write about the hero in their lives. 
The winning piece would be read live from the Indianapolis radio station and broadcast for all the city to hear. As I contemplated whom I would write about, many personalities crossed my mind. Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, Rosa Parks, but in the end, I chose my father. And to my surprise, I won. I stood before the microphone as the radio host looked on, and I shared with the world my honest testimony of what I felt right then, that my father was my hero in life. It was not because he was a well-known community activist or because I'd grown accustomed to seeing his name in the newspaper or his face on television. It was not even because he was the spiritual advisor to the famous boxer, Mike Tyson. It was because despite the many obstacles he faced in life and despite his being a rather ordinary man, he managed to instill in me, as well as my siblings, a love for the lives that Allah had given us. And never once, and never once did he make me or my siblings believe that our worth or beauty could be measured by or limited to our bodies or skin. In a word, he taught us truth. Today, I find it truly heartbreaking that of the more than one billion Muslims in the world, so few of them could say the same of their parents. Unfortunately, in today's world, Muslims, whether, quote, fair or dark, Arab or non-Arab, black or white, seek honor in lifestyles and values that are far removed from Islam. Is it honor you seek among them? Nay, all honor is with Allah. Surah Tanisa, uh, Ayah 30, Surah Tanisa, Ayah 139. While in truth, we should seek honor in only one lifestyle, that of being slaves, not to our country, skin color, tribe, or family name, and not even to our, quote, victim status as oppressed people of the world, but to Allah, our creator, who has given us Islam. If we do not seek honor through this religion, we will continue to live in humiliation and make utter fools of ourselves, not, not only through revealing our tragic colonial mentality and racist comments, ridiculous matrimonial ads, and bizarre articles and magazines, but through our sullied souls when we die and meet Allah. For to our creator, there is but one measure of human beauty and worth, being Allah's slaves on earth. And these superior slaves are not distinguished due to their bodies or skin, but due to their pure hearts and righteous deeds and through having in their breast not even a grain of pride when they are buried in the dirt from which they were created. So as we take pride in the color, or lack thereof, of our fleshy dirt, tell me, O child of Adam, are you amongst these honored slaves? Well, well, well. Okay, so we got teachers um, using examples of Dark skin or black women is <laughs> okay. That's all. Okay. I'm gonna give. I'm gonna go to that later. It's <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Goodness gracious. Okay. So, um, I guess the first thing that came to my mind was I remember um, the story. Uh, I re I remember my um, you know shopping shopping with my mother and my sister, and they wore full hijab, and you could tell you know they wore kimar like a Muslim woman wears kimar, and multiple times you know people especially Arabs will come and say are you Muslim you know are you Muslim you know what I'm saying and, and they wouldn't even be wearing anything that, that any marker that, that you could tell made them that and so that reminded me of when you talked about uh, the person who said uh, a black person can't be Muslim so explain to me how that came about I mean to be honest I don't know how it came about, except that I was sitting in class doing my work and he just fed you. I mean, just all of a sudden, he just called me to the desk, you know, you know, just seemingly for no reason. I was just doing my work and he just called me to the desk. Nothing had happened before that, at least in my recollection. Uh, nothing. We never had any discussion about it. It wasn't like he wasn't like a teacher that was particularly, you know, close or affectionate or, or um, affectionate, meaning like one of those teachers where you feel like you can talk to about anything. He was purely about just teaching the lesson. And that was it, you know, and yelling at us whenever he felt like, you know, he would come sometimes. Most of us are African-Americans. He would call us monkeys sometimes and things like that. So. You know, I didn't even to be honest, I had not <laughs> at that time, I didn't even think anything of it because I just thought okay he has a temper problem and he just 
<laughs> he just that was his go-to word you know because i wasn't familiar with that being a later someone else pointed out to me they said you know that was racist when he did that right and i was wait, wait, like explain this class wait a minute what class were you in was this a teacher who said these yeah. things yes this was the teacher what was the class it was a foreign language class where were you how old were you i was um i was probably when this was i mean i had the <coughs> same teacher from because he was we were it was a part of a, a magnet program yeah. and i had the same teacher from seventh grade through 11th grade so this particular incident occurred the one that i mentioned in the story the monkey thing was all day every all the time through all, all those years but um <laughs> but the this particular one, I was in high school. I think I was 16 years old, no more than 15. So I was like 15 or 16 years old at the time. He told me that black people in America could never be Muslim. And he was he called himself Muslim. He called himself Muslim. Oh, yes, okay, right, yes, he called sure. himself Muslim. Yeah. yeah, he went to. We would even see him at Eid when we would go out to like um, the Isna Eid. We would see him, and I knew some of his children. And what was his descent? Egyptian. He was Egyptian. Okay, mm -hmm. and 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 he was see, you were in public school when he yes, was it was teaching. public school. Yeah. Okay, and was there a response to that, or people just was quiet? Y'all, y'all must have thought he was just crazy or something. Is that what happened? I thought he was crazy. Yeah, yeah. You I just mean, said, oh, that's just that crazy Egyptian dude. That's just how he is, right? Yeah, I didn't, but no one heard the statement that he said to me about black people. Oh, like that was not the monkeys. He would say out loud. You know, he would say, "You guys are just a bunch of monkeys," and he was he was just like. You know, um, he would say that kind of thing, but I didn't think anything of it because he had a really bad temper. Yeah. And so we just yeah. was like, okay, here he goes again. And he would say anything that he thought was offensive. You know, he would say a whole bunch of stuff, but I remember his go-to, you know, insult was monkeys. Oh my God. Right. It's amazing. When I listen to that, it's amazing that, that you didn't. That you um, at that time, but that makes sense because I can remember. I I, I don't I don't think I went through something that extreme mm -hmm. um, where I heard that type of thing. Oh my god, goodness! But it's amazing how again, and I, I mentioned this in, in my last word on the last um, podcast that we did about how we are products of our own perception. Meaning, like you know, some people can two people can hear the same thing and perceive it totally different. Where one person will be like, okay, that doesn't mean anything, and the other person will be like, oh my god, it's like the worst thing in the world. And it's amazing how that works. But I can recall, like, in me being in Muslim schools, the parallels of that, it was a lot more subtle. Obviously, I, I don't think you, you could be that blatant with it because mm -hmm. there were, like, minority. In the Muslim schools that I went to that were um, majority foreign and, and the minority were black people, they knew they had to be careful with that type of thing. But I do remember, like, um, it was almost, like, expected that the black kids um, were slower Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, but it was subtle how they would say it. So it wouldn't be, it would be hinted at. Like when they would have parent teacher meetings, it would almost be like, well, you know, maybe you need to put him and put him through this or that type mm -hmm. of thing. Or he would be, or I remember like, for example, my brother who's very intelligent being recommended for maybe having a learning disability, that type of thing. So they're very quick to kind of say, okay, you know what? These, you probably don't have the, uh, um, the ability, the same abilities as some of the other students. Mm -hmm. And knowing what I know now, that a lot of that comes from how, um, you know, I guess mainstream white America was taught to even look at black kids, black mm -hmm. students as well. Yeah. You've been a teacher. Talk to me about what you learned when it comes to that. And how much do you feel like what that guy was saying was influenced by like what the, the narrative from white America and white supremacy? I mean, I, I'll say this. Today, I can look back and understand things a lot more okay. than, than I did at that time. I, I didn't have any idea of anything at the time that it was happening. Yeah. But I, uh, part of my studies with Quran and Arabic and, Islam, and, and Islamic studies was for spending a few months in Egypt for an intensive Arabic program. And I remember when I was there, which is his home country, there was a lot of ignorance about Islam in America. And... And the idea that black people could even be American, period, let alone Muslim, you know, and even I would have to tell them, you have you heard of like Michael Jordan? Have you heard of, you know, I would list different people right. and they would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying, well, he's actually a part. He's, you know, he's actually a, 
a black person in America. And so many of us, you know, there are many people who are black in America. So, but the, the vast majority of their television shows and different things like that are just really just the white shows, you know, they may, they may get access to a couple of sports and entertainment things, but the television and movies that are pumped through, I mean, it's like whiteville, you know, and their fascination with white and when I and I saw this when I traveled to not just Egypt but also in the um, being in Saudi Arabia and also being around in in many of these travels even around the Desi population in their cultures and I'm just going to be blunt they're obsessed with white you know and I remember one time like my sister said a friend of hers was explaining it and she was actually uh, from one of those countries and she herself was a part of the culture. And she said, Astaghfirullah, this is how she explained it. She said, to these people, white people are Allah. She mm-hmm. said, Astaghfirullah for me giving that. She said, but if you want to understand how their hearts work when it comes to white people, they are Allah. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, re- <clears throat> I don't really understand that as an American, except that I know that in the history of you know, African-Americans um, with the slavery that when the the Europeans actually painted themselves as God and created a whole new religion right. based around Jesus being God, right. where they literally put in their face that the white man is God. But I never saw that level like right. of self-humiliation like, that I saw that when I traveled to the, the Middle East, I was embarrassed for them. And different things like this. And then, and then of course, the, the idea that the Arabs actually will teach it as a part of the religion that this their blood is superior and they're, they're white. They have that kind of white blood. And some of them actually will actually literally try to teach it as if it's part of Islam. And they have, you know, trumped up Delil and all of that stuff right. that they use. Mm-hmm. So from knowing that, they're taught that people who are black are not fully human. Like this is taught in their cultures, you know, and sometimes it's said outright, but other times it's just by default. Like you're supposed to be sweeping the floor. You're supposed to be, you know, whatever. And you don't, they don't even call them by their names. You know what I'm saying? And what's funny is that what I found in the middle, especially in Saudi Arabia, the most derogatory term that they use to refer to them in terms of just dismissing their name, they say, Muhammad, 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 come here, Muhammad. Muhammad. That's the that's the generic name for That's the for generic name for, for any not just black people, but anyone who's below well, them. So a Daisy, because then we know the Daisies are below them too. Yeah, like the in in, in yeah. the in that part of the world that sometimes they refer to Daisy in, in uh the, the um Daisy and the well, the Daisy group, mm-hmm. especially the ones with the brown skin who work as workers, like like people say desert niggers. Yeah, yeah, and some, ironically, sometimes they would do say that same type of terminology for the Egyptians because they consider the Egyptian as the lowest the Arab, of the Arabs. The Arab, right. And some won't even acknowledge that they're Arabs. So, yeah. you know, when you drink the poison, it ends up <laughs> killing you. So, so, but still, even though the Egyptians and the Daisies are considered to be right. amongst the lowest in the Arab world, they still themselves believe in the very poison that poisons them Mm -hmm. so they they transfer that to feeling like it's very similar to you know how they say that the worst slave master is the former slave so the ones who were the most uh, cruel to the african-americans in history were the ones who were slaves back in europe and were the lower class you know because now they get a chance and that's what you see happening with many of these people Uh, and so now that they're coming and they and then remember that a lot of the people who immigrate to america they are not representative of their cultures back mm-hmm. home. Mm-hmm. These are these are generally people who are of, of a higher status. They're of the elite. They generally have uh, more money and all of that than other people. And I learned this when I traveled right. that, and to be very fair, the, there are many people in Egypt and, and many people in Saudi Arabia who don't think like this. They're influenced by it, but because they're 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 f- focus in life is on the law mm-hmm. and we're doing what's right, and they actually look down on i'm not saying i agree with this but i'm saying this is how far it goes they look down on people who go and travel to america and take citizenship and in many of their families they will not allow them to intermarry with those people because they consider them to be not from a a blood standpoint but from a spiritual standpoint like polluting the family now i don't necessarily agree with that mentality but that's how far it is meaning like you don't who we meet in the united states of america that's not the complete representation because the people who generally come to america except for those who come for asylum 
mm-hmm. and those are the minority. Yeah, yeah. The small, small minority. Yeah. You do yeah. have people who come to the United States of America for asylum, right. but the vast majority of people who come to the United States are people who love white America. Right. They don't care anything about you. Right. The right. fact that black people are even human or even worthy of speaking to is something that they learn for the first time coming to America. And they don't even have the history lessons that the, the white Americans have to even know how to be politically correct when they do it. Right. So that's pretty much what you're dealing with, right. you know. Um, right. And in it's, in it's, in it's a deep, deep psychology that I think that... Um, and understanding a lot of the racism and mistreatment and even false teachings of Islam that we get that are catered to them, mm-hmm. you have to understand that the culture of the people who immigrated to the United States of America, it had nothing to do with Islam. You know, it had everything to do with something of this world that they wanted in the United States of America. And some of them cared about Islam in the end, but that's not why they came here. So you're not going to get that brotherly and sisterliness because many of them came in a state of voluntarily compromising without any need, right? without any need. And that's a very, very deep psychology. And that compromising also included what they considered to be just a standard thing of certain people are just below them. That's how they lived, you know, back in their yeah. countries. And they're definitely going to continue it when they get a higher status, which is becoming an American. Right. And that's, you know, um, I think it's important that people understand because I think a lot of people who live in America, for example, most black people who live in America, they haven't traveled to these places mm-hmm. and they haven't experienced this. So they don't know the depths of it. So I think it's good that you, you know, you're educating people and they haven't experienced that, haven't lived in, in Egypt and in Saudi Arabia for a good amount of time. You know, and then everybody who lives in Egypt and Saudi Arabia don't necessarily have the same or aren't sensitive enough to kind of see these things or, or delve into these things. And they're not people watching. You know, everyone's not a people observer. But um, <clears throat> it's important because, again, it lays the groundwork for when when people see or feel these microaggressions that occur here, because, you know, here, you know, it's just the, the fight against racism is so prevalent. You're not just going to be able to get away with just some of the things that you see that you experience when you were overseas just because there's because of the the fight that's been going on for so long, especially with African-Americans who have just not given up in this Mm -hmm. fight to make sure that we are seen as people. Mm -hmm. Um, But those things, those those feelings that Muslims feel when they're like, you know, they ain't really salami or, you know, it just doesn't feel it's not it's similar. I feel like it's similar to. Uh, you know how you know kids when they understand they feel the spirit and they they spirit your spirit and they kind of know when you're for them and when you're not you know it's that type of thing um so the next so we're gonna move to to the next thing so that was just your teacher that was just your teacher who was in public school who was just your basic you know um public school teacher this next person who you mentioned who's talking about a black person. <laughs> Modest, what was his position? I mean, what it was was that um, he was, it was an Arabic lecture, and he was saying, like, I, from our calls, like, Imra Sauda, Imra Sauda, like, like, and basically, um, and the way I actually heard about the lecture was because uh, my, one of my Quran teachers and her family had just finished listening to it. It was by a major sheikh that everybody likes. And basically, the goal of the lecture, what he was trying to say was, he was trying to get the Arab woman to cover, like because in the Middle East, uh, especially in Saudi Arabia, you find that the, they're and when I say especially Saudi Arabia, even though they're the most covered, but there's just this panic that women are are, are beginning to show their hair, um, and in Saudi Arabia is considered the the popular the most uh, popular opinion is that even the face itself is. Um, is aura, and you have to cover that. And by the way, they another position there is that, and to understand what he's saying, they're a very popular position in that region is that black women don't have to cover. They're specifically their face, even though the face is just like, you know, your stomach to them. So in their position is that they're so ugly that the rules of aura don't apply to him, so to them. So to understand the, the psychology of who he's talking to, Here's a person who's so ugly, to translate into how, our, how we can understand it. Here's a person who's so ugly, no man would even be looking at her. Maybe the rules of hijab don't won't even apply to her because, Yanni, she, what aura? She's black. 
But she loved the law so much that she wanted to cover. And look at you Arab women who are beautiful and actually have a reason to cover, and yet you're walking around uncovered. So here, let's look at this black woman as an example, this ugly woman who no man will ever want to look at, and she covered. So what about you? Yeah, and you said it was a major sheikh. Major sheikh. Right. Or they, you know, they were called the, the, the senior. Yeah, one, one of, of the, the se senior one, scholars. One of the senior yes. scholars, right. So <laughs> I can only laugh because um, with that type of uh, <laughs> entrenched prejudice, how do, like, like how does, like, when, when Muslims hear that, you know, how do we trust? I think to me, it was going through these things. It was very emotionally damaging. Mm -hmm. I will say that. I'm not even going to pretend that it wasn't. But it ended up being the biggest gift to mm -hmm. me. Because when I, before I went there, I would constantly pray, Rabbi zidni ilma, Rabbi zidni ilma. I would ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, teach me your book. Teach me your sun, the sunnah of your, your prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he did. By showing me that the ilm mm -hmm. comes only from him. Right. Because at the same time, this is somebody who I would, if he wrote about Tawheed or Salah, we'll read it. Right. But it forced me to do exactly what we're supposed to do anyway, which is take only what is good and leave that which is bad. Because when you understand that, it's not as problematic as it could be if you don't understand that. It's still problematic. He had no business saying it. Yeah. And may Allah guide him and, and, and make him repent. You know, but it forced me that I cannot connect my heart to a human being. It doesn't matter how much knowledge this person has. At the end of the day, he is still a child of Adam. He's a, he's a product of his culture. Mm -hmm. And no matter how much knowledge Allah gives him, even how much sincerity, he still has blind spots due to ignorance. Yeah. He still has sicknesses due to, to the things that are corrupt in his own heart that he still has to work on. And unfortunately, in places like Saudi Arabia, um, in, in other parts of the Arab world, there's not that, that knowledge that you have to actually do tazkiyah to nafs for racism because they actually believe it's a part of the religion, a right. lot of the racism. Right. Not all of it, but some of the racism. Right. And things like, for example, how a woman looks, a person being ugly because of brown or, or, or darker skin, they consider that qadr. Mm -hmm. That's not something that's that's something it's kind of like, for example, it's the mentality to understand it from the people I was around yeah. and not to say it represents everybody is more so the mentality is more so that just like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives some people deformities. Yeah. And that's naturally not beautiful. Right, 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 right. Like if someone's missing their part of their face, that's not beautiful. So that's how they look at black skin. Like black skin is something that is from the fitra of the human being, an ugly, disgusting thing. That's how they see it. Yeah. It's a very interesting. It took me a while to understand that's where they're coming from, but that you'll find that in Daisy cultures, you'll find that in a lot of Arab cultures, with very few exceptions. Right. But they look at it as that's Allah's qadr, these people are ugly, and that's the end of it. Right, right. And to me, that's clearly um, a, a something that Shaitan, you know, has decided will be one of his major weapons, you know, to do that type of thing. But mm -hmm. um, <coughs> moving forward. Um, I remember when I went to uh, Amsterdam, when I traveled to Amsterdam to perform and I was uh, uh, doing workshops with children, with kids, let's say children, because they were high school and down. And um, I remember them talking to me afterwards and saying that they were surprised that I was a rapper because I talked so well. And they were surprised because, you know, the, the people who they know as, you know, as rappers, you know, they, you know, well, I asked them, well, who do you know? You know, who do you, who do you see? You know, it's just Snoop Dogg or whatever the case may be. <laughs> you know, so they all mentioned him. It's like, it's two people that they mentioned, like Snoop and 50 Cent, something like that. Not right? Tupac. <laughs> and of course, and, 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 some, and someone will mention Tupac, definitely, even, even to this day, because he was just really international. But what's interesting to me is that now these now, excuse me. The ethnicity of these Muslims who I'm teaching, even though I'm in Amsterdam, is mostly Desi. Mostly Desi with, with a few Arabs here and there. Mostly Desi. And so, um, I say that to say, you know, it's interesting in that they were enamored with the fact that I rap. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, it was almost like, and they, and they even wanted, you know, you could see them trying to act with a certain type of mannerism that, was, that emulated how black people or African Americans were. But at the same time, at that same 
time, it was interesting that they had that analysis of me. You understand what I'm saying? And so I look, you know, being a being a musician, being an artist, you know, and, and being in those worlds has been an interesting test because don't I feel like, you know, a lot of the reason why they tolerate tolerated a person like me is because their kids were so enamored with with the whole rap thing and that type of thing. And they couldn't get to their kids. But at the same time, it was like the kids also understood that, yeah, this is, you know, almost like, you know, this is like a novelty thing. It's not really, you're not really looking at a human here. Mm-hmm. You're looking at this thing that can do this thing. But, you know, you don't really take it that seriously, even though you want to be like it. So it's like this weird kind of, you know, contradiction that's going on there. And these are, again, like I said, these are Muslim children, um, you know, shelter, you can tell they're sheltered. You can tell that their, their family probably tries to practice Islam and that type of thing. And I experienced this in multiple places in traveling, especially traveling to Europe. Um, and so as I move on and I start to, you know, I, I have friends and compadres who we do, mu- you know, we do music and we talk all the time. And alhamdulillah, we have an opportunity to uh, sit with scholars every once in a while, students of knowledge, you know what I'm saying? Because a lot of times at the conferences that we are performing at, they're, they're talking and doing lectures. And one of the things that one of the things that we all concluded on because we always talked about how, you know, they have this big emphasis on music being haram, you know, this huge, like they always have to emphasize the music being haram. But we all, but we were talking one day just about how weird it was, you know what I'm saying? Because there are other things that they just didn't mention. Mm -hmm. Like it would seem like that you would be more onto that because there's more evidence about that. Right. And I remember us coming to the conclusion that there's a, they even felt, it felt like jealousy. You know, it felt like they didn't like that we got the type of attention we got. Resentment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about like what that person was saying, a black woman, I st- also thought in my mind, there must be, there's also something there. It's not just that they feel superior too. Mm. I also feel like with them, it's like that's their way of fighting. That they know that there's beauty there. Mm-hmm. They know that the beauty is there. They know the truth of the beauty Allah has given dark people and darker skinned people. Mm-hmm. And so it's like they're fighting it to keep this, you know, it's almost to keep their pride intact. They're fighting it and they, they have to do that. That's why they're so nasty with it. What do you yeah, think about that? I think like when you said that, it makes me think of like the resentment that we could actually be closer to Allah than they are. Mm. That's really what I believe mm. is going on more than that. Mm. Because being around people from the Arab and Desi background with very few exceptions. And I will keep saying that because there are exceptions. You find those beautiful exceptions where they reject that part of their culture. There is this idea. And I know this from working with Muslim organizations. They resent the fact that I may know more than them. You know, for example, not when I say no more, I'm not saying in everything, but in particular topics about Islam, right? Like how could you, and so it's it's more so even and not just how ugly she was, but she's black. Yeah. You're superior even in Dean to her. Yeah. But she's doing something more basic than you. And it's it's more so kind of like it's a very similar ideology to when Muslims say, how can mom Muslims be being kind to the neighbors and all this? And you have Islam and you're being disrespectful. It's that type of mentality. I do um, believe that, you know, for a lot of white people mm-hmm. who do the same thing they're not buying into it as much like white people know black people are beautiful yeah okay i mean it's undeniable they've yeah. lived around us they know this and let i'm just gonna be blunt the woman got the bodies we you know what i'm saying right, right, right. like nobody else right, right. but so there is a resentment there yeah. you know and and because to put that african-american female beauty out there and we shouldn't be putting it in people's faces anyway sure but there is a direct resentment, and it's slowly creeping into the Arab world and stuff. I will stay, still say that they're very much still back in, I would say they're probably in like an early 1900 type mentality about beauty, <laughs> where you're just beginning to realize certain things, but they're still fixated on themselves and white people, whereas the rest of the world is moving on. Um, 
But with the ones in the United States of America, you do find them time kind of realizing because what ends up happening, the irony is they come here for a lot of immigrant Muslims come here for dunya and then Allah shows them deen. Right. You know, and then in one of the things, a deen of fitra, and I don't just mean la ilaha illallah, I'm talking about just the fitra, right. like where we have a culture where in many circles, people are appreciated for who they are. And so you're forced to sit here and appreciate the beauty. And I'm talking about beyond skin of a black woman who's intelligent, who can articulate, who can (laughs) shame all of y'all. You know what I'm saying? And it's a resentment. And working with Muslim organizations in the United States of America, I don't know of any exception that I face from someone working there specifically who has some sort of uh, leadership position. As a general rule, um, I would say this. It's very rare that I meet an exception. I'll put it that way. Very, very rare. Yeah. I can count on one hand that all of the times I've worked with Muslim organizations that I actually met a human being who mm-hmm. respects that. And even that you could tell was a jihad enough. Yeah. Th- to see someone like, uh, for example, I'll give you an example. I'm constantly told when I'm writing about things of, in Islam, you should refer to scholars. Right. Now, these people don't know anything about my background. They didn't ask what my resume was. They didn't ask how much I studied. Right. But it's immediate. It's, it's like that joke that um, was told like years ago when they said that there was a, there was a, um, uh, a, a doctor and his son who was killed in a car accident. You know, they told it in different shows. I know they mentioned a Cosby show one time and mm-hmm. people t- would tell it. More like a riddle joke. So a doctor and his son was killed. uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Excuse me. A doctor and his son were in a car accident. The doctor immediately was killed. The son survived. When they went to the hospital, the emergency room doctor was there to receive the child for surgery. And then the doctor said, I cannot operate on on him because he's my son. How do you explain this riddle? And everybody was like, oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Okay. his, his, His doctor, the father died in the car accident. What is this? Maybe he had the wrong father. His mother was a doctor. Right. right no. So it never occurred to the people <laughs> that both the mother and father were doctors and the one who died right. was the father. Right, right, right. And it's a similar psychology. Now, get, don't get me wrong. I don't claim to be a scholar. Right, right. But I know for a fact that right. many of the people they're telling me to refer to have studied less than I do. Right, right, right. right. Than less than I did. Right. You know? <laughs> and and so, sure. and I've even heard them speak on topics, not all of them. Some of them definitely have way more knowledge than I do in certain areas. But it's very interesting that people will keep saying that to me, and even amongst African Americans. Yeah. yeah, that's just assumed. Just the, assumed. the assumption is yeah. because I'm African American yeah. and I'm female, right. and because the white and the Arabs and the Daisy people who they listen to on YouTube all right. day right. don't mention my name as being anyone reputable, I don't know anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and of course, like my studies has been under you know basically the the. The teachings that go back to the time of the Prophet ﷺ, respecting all of the true scholars in history. Mm-hmm. And I try my best to stick to those foundations. But because I'm not, I don't look like them. Right, right, right. I'm not respected and I'm not even accepted as having any knowledge. Yeah. Because not only am I black, but I write novels. Right, right. right. I'm a woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is inconceivable even amongst many African Americans. Yeah. They cannot conceive of the fact that. Their definition of scholar, I could fit into. Now, I don't consider myself a scholar. I don't even want that title. But I'm just saying that it's very interesting, the direct assumption. And and I've said that to one person. I said, why don't you tell me what I know? You just met me. Right. You say salam alaikum. I told you my name. And then we get into the conversation. And she told me, and this was an African-American woman, you don't have enough knowledge to understand X, Y, and Z. <laughs> I said, you don't know what I know. You just right. met me. Right. And she backed up and she said, you know what? You're right. Yeah. But the assumption is, yeah. I don't know anything. You know, it's very similar to, um, uh, it reminds me of like history of black people in this country. Like even from down to, like I remember when, well, not I remember, but I, I studied about when, for example, black people couldn't fight in wars. And they said the reason mm-hmm. why is because they weren't, they, they didn't have the courage they used to say that the black black people didn't have courage to fight. You know what I'm saying? Until all of a sudden, when they gave them the chance, then they started excelling. And they used to say that, you know, black people are like, you know, when it comes to sports, football, basketball, that black people weren't intelligent enough to play sports like basketball and football. So they would say black people could not play those sports. And they automatically assumed that. It's like, man, this is like the punishment for pride. Like your your um like your blindness is the punishment for your plot pride. You know what I'm saying? And so um, <laughs> it's funny because 
I see where when when we fall to that, Allah does the same thing. It doesn't really matter. It's what I'm, I'm glad you used the word prejudice because you can see the same things happening with people, no matter what the the, the um the the area is. This they do the same things because like even when it comes to women, like you know, it's a big prejudice issue amongst you know you know for for example with how women are have been framed in the last you know hundreds of years you know mm-hmm. especially amongst muslims and islam and that type of thing so you know I, you know i i one of my observations when i look at a lot of the lectures when i've looked at a lot of lectures i guess in the last 20 years or so when it comes to how male and female relationships are how they should be um how they should be framed and that type of thing i noticed that it's very centered around the man, the man being pleased by the woman and the woman having to do X, Y, and Z so that she can keep the relationship. Um, and it's very interesting because when I read the Quran, like when you look at what's emphasized, when you look at how the people lecture, you will find more of the, how, what the man does to please the woman. When you read the Quran, you will read, uh, about what the, what the, um, the man should, what the man should do to, to actually keep the relationship going with the woman. You know, when it comes to, you know, your, you know, your spouses are, you know, you should cultivate your relationship, you know, that, uh, you be kind, you know what I'm saying? And if something bothers you, look to something else. Right, right, right. And, you know, Mm -hmm. and even, you know, you know, something that, that may, you might seem, that might seem like that's bad to you is, you know, is actually Mm -hmm. good. And a lot, and then a lot protects her, her right to her property, protects her right Mm -hmm. to have a dowry. So, when you you actually compiling you're like wait a minute so why are the lectures so you know you know why are the lectures opposite of the spirit of what Allah is actually talking about and when you look into it you find okay you know when I when I started to really kind of look into what the people are doing I'm like it's the same type of thing it's like you have been taught that women are you know that basically almost women are here pretty much to be by your side, not to worship Allah, it's to be by your side first. And then, you know, okay, you can worship Allah, you know, after that, right? Or to be here to serve you or that type of thing. And so when you find out that women have a pulse and they have a brain and many times they're smarter than you and many times they know more than you and many times they're more diligent than you and many times they're more spiritual than you and they're down praying more than you. And you know what I'm saying? Then it's like, it's a shock because you were blinded by that pride again. And so now what you got to do is you got to do the lectures and you got to write in your literature and you got to do all this to make up for the fact that you can't accept the fact that one, Allah never said these things, these, these things about women. Well, because we're, what we're witnessing today is reactionary Islamic teaching. This is, this is not something that we really understand and it's rooted in institutionalized pride. And I've talked about this before, you know, but we, we're seeing, 90% 90% of your Islamic classes are reactionary if you go to any classes today. And meaning, like, we're not really starting off about la ilaha illallah. We're not really focusing on what does it mean to cultivate a relationship with Allah. So, therefore, it's very, very common, even if you're in an Islamic university, to spend very little time on the Quran and Tawheed and to move on with years and years of memorizing books by later scholars, memorizing thousands and thousands of things that teach you subconsciously that psh, Tawheed, psh, la ilaha illa, psh, that's easy. That's, that's nothing. nothing right? That's basic. Yeah, yeah. You know, and they'll be like, in our fourth year of studies, we, you know, and they're so <laughs> proud of all of their memorization of words of humans. Right. Whereas when you meet a person and what Allah does is he shows you his signs. When you meet a person who is living her life or his life, no matter what color they are and what culture they come from. And it's dedicated to la ilaha illallah with the Quran, with dua, with getting up for qiyamah layl. You, your fitrah testifies that this person is above you. Yeah. Your fitrah testifies. You can't deal with it. You, you can't. can't te- it's hard yeah. to deal with when you so, see that, right? So it's like people, yeah. the one who is sincere submits. And they all say, subhanAllah, you know, right. I believe this person or these people are better Muslims than, than I am. And you will find that. You will find that amongst some African Americans, you find it amongst Daisy, you find it about, amongst Arabs, because right. the righteous people of, of every group, but the arrogant people of, of every group too. Yeah. 
<laughs> so because I wanted to say when I was in Saudi Arabia dealing with all this racism, I also met African-Americans who welcomed the opportunity to basically be slave masters to other people. Right. So they were totally fine. They were slave masters to the day, see? So Meaning, yeah, the day, absolutely. Um, and they the, liked it. They loved oh, it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> see, we're not absolved from that. No, from that. everybody's we're not human. Careful, right? No, everybody's human. And mm-hmm. that's why I said beyond black victim status. Yeah. Because, yes, we have been mistreated and oppressed. But we still have hearts yeah. like every other child of Adam. So when we're tested with, with different positions of authority and different things that we have in our tiny bit of, of, of reality, you see how people treat. You know, and I'll talk about this later when, when it's a marriage or something that they don't want to deal with. Yeah. Black people get real prejudiced who if they're the middle class and they have to deal with the reality of plural marriage. Right, right, right. Oh, you want to see the beginning of what happened <laughs> with white people right? and oh yeah. <laughs> they don't want to they do all of the stuff these social activists talk about right. that represents uh racism and mistreatment, all of that stuff you will find middle class uh or even you know African Americans have a voice right. doing everything possible right. to tear down um people's freedom. Yeah. Because like I like I mentioned before in, in one of my journal entries, that when a slave, yeah. and when I say slave, I'm talking about any human being who is in an oppressive system, begins to get benefits from that system, mm. they will fight those who, who tell people that there's a way to get free. Yeah. Yeah. And that's 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 present. Everybody got to look at Django. Yeah. Everybody needs to look at that. Yeah. If you haven't seen Django, you need to watch it because it's it's it's, it's happening to this day. And it yeah, happens it does. In, in every area. I mean, all you got to do is tell people something, a simple statement of, say, you know, like I posted on my page, human right. choice. I shared something right, you had right, said. Right. And I get slaughtered. Right. I'm saying that we have options as Muslims, you know, in marriage and, and how we, you know, right. even within the the, mm-hmm. the confines of the law. Mm-hmm. And, oh, Muslims weren't here having it because mm-hmm. they are happy slaves to, to the, so to the, to that. Right, when right. the white man says <laughs> polygamy is evil, boy. <laughs> Yeah, right. Then all of a sudden we like, wait. oh, right, the right, slaves right. are revolting against against the other slaves, <laughs> you know, saying somebody can get free. No, master, keep me enslaved. <laughs> and you know what's ironic about that? What's ironic about that is that Africa, you know, which we always love to claim, right? Africa, where we know we, we're descendants from, we're descendants from African. There, the, in many of the places, especially the places where we actually came from, like West, the, the polygyny is not an issue. Like that, that's it's the norm there. Yeah. Right. But 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 all of a sudden we get real. real we don't we don't remember that part. We don't we don't think yeah. about that part. And it's it's literally existing to this day. Yeah, because people <laughs> who are insecure are afraid of human choice. Right. 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 Because right. you know because w- the thing is is that we can't whoever you are. Like for example, when you deal with racism. Human choice is an enemy to the racist system, right. whether it's in the Islamic teachings, you know, that they want to keep misogyny and racism as part of the teaching, right. whether it's in the marriage choice. And I kept I remember I kept reminding people, I said, I am not advocating for anyone to be controlled or told anything. Right. I right. am saying we have an obligation yeah, to respect right. human right. choice. Right. And I'm telling you, yeah. I had so much flack. Yeah. Well, we're going to we're going to get more yeah. into that. We're going to we're going to get more into that <laughs> yeah. later in the podcast. But, yeah. you know, I think it's good that we touched on that to let people know we're discussing the reality of what we're dealing with with racism. And yes, the most prevalent racism is against black people. But it's not like black people can't have a type of prejudice that can be just as damaging as certain racist constructs. So we have to be careful because, you know, the, you know, the, the, the history is, you know, just like the people who came to this country, well, they were products of discrimination. They weren't, it wasn't racism, but it was prejudice because, you know, whiteness was still being constructed, right? But, uh, they were, they were products of discrimination, religious discrimination. And they literally came here and committed the, some of the worst atrocities based on racism that we ever saw. And they were victims. They were the, the at that time, they were the downtrodden. They were the discriminated against. So, again, this podcast is not just to just just to down, you know, the people who, who you know, who are, you know, are not our color. But it's to really kind of be a warning to everyone to stand up for justice. Now, that means that we're going to have to prioritize things and let's be real the priority is that the that dark-skinned people are the most discriminated against so we're going to spend more time with that because that's the that's the those, those are the people who need 
the, the upliftment the most. And it's not an equal playing field, you know. So it's, it's so we do have to realize mm-hmm. that because what what happens with the darker skin is that let's say you're dealing with a darker skin person who also is discriminated against from 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 whether their type of marriage or whatever they have it way worse than someone else. That's right. So and that's why it's very that's important right. to deal with these particular things. And that if we want to save generations from the long term, in the long term, all of us, no matter what you know our background is. We have to look deep within ourselves, and it doesn't mean that we're guilty of the same atrocities as other people. It just means that we have to answer to Allah just like everyone else. Okay. And we have to stand on the day of judgment alone, and we cannot be okay with prejudice and discrimination and mistreatment when it when it suits us. Right. You know, because, right. you know, right. I, my <laughs> slave master is nice. Right. And he gives me what I want, or I like him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm not, you know, I'm not uh, being... You know, uh, <laughs> approached against my will doesn't mean that everybody else got to live like that. Right, 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 right. You know, so I think like that's why I wanted to point that out because I did say some very strong statements. Yeah, yeah. And I wanted to balance that out to say yeah. that I've also, you know, experienced things where I was discriminated against from African Americans for even my studies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, and I don't, I definitely think that we that we have a, a way worse struggle and racism is the biggest problem facing uh, black people in the world, despite all the other human struggles that we have. Exactly. But we're still humans. Yeah. 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 And it's important because, you know, maybe it may be you know, law says that he doesn't change the condition of a people till they change the condition within themselves. And so, you know, it may be that, you know, a law is protecting us from ourselves, you know, even by allowing us to stay in a state for a while. Because remember, Allah is the one who controls the state that we're in the most. And he can just say B and all of a sudden the whole tide can change. And all of a sudden we can have power. What are we going to do with it? Exactly. Okay. So, uh, any last words when it comes to, uh, um, the inspiration behind this essay? Well, it was actually, the inspiration was trying to, you know, I was talking to myself first to remember that we get distracted by, the, the, the fleshy dirt of our skin we get distracted by the pain that we experience as a result of the color of our fleshy dirt and I keep referring it um, to it as that because that's from how we were created we we're created from dirt all of us and to remind us that we're going back to that dirt whether you're black white Arab whether your family name was of greatness or, or, or whether or not nobody even knew who you were or whether you're like people like us as African-Americans where we can only trace our lineage back so far and only have a certain level of connection and even we're cut off from certain parts of our lineage because of the racism and stuff. So, you, but we still have to remember that this is all a test. And no matter what it is, when you fixate on this world at the absence of the hereafter, you humiliate yourself. Mm. Yeah. Doesn't matter who you are, whether you're black, white, Arab, whatever. If you fixate on this world at the expense of the hereafter, you humiliate yourself, you make a fool of yourself, and you cause oppression on earth. Okay. Well, duly noted. Heavy words. So we're at, with that, we're going to end um, episode two of Label Deep. Uh, you can find Om Zakia's book, uh, Prejudice Bones in My Body, at uzauthor.com or at any um, major book retailer like Amazon. Um, we thank you for listening and we'll see you next time I've heard multiple times from multiple students of knowledge who graduated everywhere from Al-Azhar to the University of Medina that in their studies they come across blatant racist remarks from major scholars of Islam yet go on as if these scholars they studied about were supremely objective when it came to their Islamic rulings and the possible effect of those rulings on the victims of bias excusing the racism as an anomalous issue and quickly disclaiming the problematic thoughts as mistakes with good intentions. It makes sense that the biggest beneficiaries of this system of learning shed the best light on a troublesome discovery because that's what us humans do when we're invested in a thing. Good intentions or not though, anomalous or not, the fact that it was read in texts related to Islamic teachings proves that the analysis of that particular scholar and thus, how he comes about his ruling cannot be fully objective. And in fact, the closer that topic is to the habits, life decisions, and culture of darker skinned people, the more harmful it actually might be. This does not negate the good work of the scholar, nor does it prove or disprove his real intentions. It's actually not the point. 
But if we aren't able to do our job and scrutinize, question, and analyze any opinion or analysis of us that doesn't come from a law directly or his messenger due to someone's idea of disrespect, then what we basically said is one group of people's dignity matters more than ours. Yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told every individual that we will be accountable for saving our own souls on the day of judgment, scholars included. If I lose my deen due to the unfair, biased analysis of a particular scholar, I will also have to answer to Allah for placing my worship in the wrong place. This is KI's Last Word, and you're listening to Label Deep Podcast with Um Zakia and Khalil Ismail. With a little baby girl who was buried alive Rise from the dirt to the palaces of life In the gardens, in the gardens In the gardens, in the gardens Where the victim of faith no longer be ashamed May have got a body but a soul he couldn't claim For the gardens, for the gardens For the gardens, for the gardens Where lower class citizens That you heard was authored by Om Zakia from the book Prejudice Bones in My Body. You can find Prejudice Bones in My Body at uzauthor.com. All music was composed and performed by Khalil Ismail. You can find Khalil Ismail's music at khalilismail.com. That's K H A L I L I S M A I L.com. Join us for our live version of Label Deep podcast, February 24th, when we delve into the issues regarding prejudice and racism in the Muslim community. That's February 24th, 6 p.m. in Baltimore, Maryland at Catonsville Community College. 